Welcome to the Take Good Care podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bradshaw. No one wants to become highly skilled at navigating a medical crisis by actually navigating their own medical crises. But I'm here for it. I'm here to help you avoid the learn-as-you-go education in healthcare that I've experienced throughout my own healthcare journey. And I'm also here to facilitate inspiration with guests who get you. We get you. And we're here to build community. So let's get started. Welcome to the Take Good Care podcast. This is episode nine. Thank you for joining me. Today's episode topic comes by request from someone within the Take Good Care community app. It's an app I created for patients and caregivers who are navigating critical or chronic illness. So if you're a patient or caregiver, you would find support, education, and a place where you can build community with people who get you, people who understand your plight and the challenges that you face every day as a patient or caregiver. Now, I won't be defining the law of HIPAA, but I have provided a link to a resource with all the information you could possibly want about HIPAA. For the purposes of this conversation, it's more of a user-friendly approach, informing patients and caregivers about the use of a HIPAA release and its importance. I'll start by defining HIPAA. It's an acronym for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. It states, it's a federal law that required the creation of national standards to protect sensitive patient health information from being disclosed without the patient's consent or knowledge. Let's start by making sure we understand the difference between a medical power of attorney and the HIPAA release. A medical power of attorney is a document that names the person or persons whom you've put in charge of your medical decision-making should you become incapacitated. It usually requires an attorney to draw up this paperwork and is part of your estate planning. The HIPAA release is a much more simple process. In fact, you could, after listening to this episode, call your provider group or send a message through the portal and simply ask, how do I go about making sure my HIPAA release is up to date? It might be as simple as downloading the form from the portal, filling out the form, and then uploading it and keeping it with your provider group records. You'd also want to keep a copy for yourself, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. Now, whomever you name the person or persons on your medical power of attorney would most definitely want to be named on your HIPAA release. But chances are you might have a couple more people on that HIPAA release than you would name people in your medical power of attorney. I'll give you an example. Let's say the patient has five children and there is one child who is kind of a communicator throughout the family. Maybe they have a medical background. Maybe they've been a patient or caregiver themselves, or maybe they're just the one who's willing to take on that role of being in communication with the provider or the people within the hospital setting, for example, and then disseminating that information through the rest of the family. But let's say that particular child is away on business when an emergency happens, you'd want to have a second person named on that HIPAA and also have that discussion of who's in charge of disseminating that information if the person you've initially designated isn't available. And let's just say you want a third person, maybe the person who is your caregiver is your spouse. They're your caregiver in your home and making sure they're helping take care of your daily needs but maybe they're not as good at or do not have the time for gathering medical records or having those discussions with a provider. For example, with my mom and dad, when my mom was ill, 
there were times that the most my dad could do is just take care of her daily needs. So while he was on her HIPAA release, he wasn't always the one making calls or scheduling appointments or getting in touch with providers about complications or concerns. That was me. He was communicating with me, and then I was communicating with the providers. My brother was also on my mom's HIPAA release, but he lives in a different country and was not part of the daily conversation, but he most definitely could have stepped in if we needed his help. So that's an example. My dad would need to be on that HIPAA release so that he could pick up the phone and have a conversation with any provider or make an appointment if needed. I needed to be on that HIPAA release so that I was his backup when all he had the capacity to do is take care of my mom's daily needs. And my brother was on that HIPAA release just in case there were a time that he needed to make a phone call to a provider, say I wasn't available or my dad wasn't available and he needed information or he was helping me out from being the person who was having these conversations on a daily basis. There is a volley that happens between a patient and caregiver. In my mom's case, there was not a time when she was ever really capable of taking care of her own health care and the details that go along with the everydayness of that. She had to rely on us to take care of her and get her the care she needed. But with my late husband, Wesley, although he was hospitalized multiple times during his year-long illness, he had the capacity to make the phone calls, be part of his planning of his day, appointments, and things like that. However, I still took on that role most of the time. I'll give you another example. When we were told that Wesley would need a double lung transplant, we had to move to a different city for that transplant because our insurance wouldn't cover it in Houston. In fact, I think just in recent years, the facility that we would have chosen has been approved for transplant, for lung transplants. So he took it upon himself to decide on the location of that transplant based on his blood type, based on the waiting list, all of these factors that we were considering as we made these decisions together. So he did the research. And then once he decided on that location, he also did all of the research for where we would live. He found us a corporate apartment that was furnished. When he found out the apartment wouldn't be ready until two weeks after we arrived, he then found a hotel that we can live in that had a kitchen and a separate bedroom that would be comfortable for our family of three, our young son and Wesley and me. So those are things that he was able to take on When we got ready to move to this hospital location, it was 10 hours away, two states away from our home. So we had a long list of things to do. And I believe, I'm not exaggerating, I think I had like 40-something things on my to-do list that Wesley just wouldn't have had the capacity to do, largely because it just required walking around our house, gathering his medication, making lists, making calls, going to the pharmacy, And because he was oxygen deprived, he did not have the capacity for the physicalities of that to-do list. However, he had the mental capacity for the details of that to-do list. Does that make sense? So in his case, we worked out that volley. We had a volley. There were things that I took care of and things that he took care of. I'd learned my way around the situation. I was close to it. There was no one else on his HIPAA release. There was no one else in charge of or part of these decisions on a daily basis. With my mom, it took more than just my dad to take care of her in this way. With Wesley, it was just him and me. Now, the next thing I want to cover is deciding about communication. It is really important to have those conversations now, if possible. Who is in charge of disseminating the information 
and how will that information be disseminated? Now, back when Wesley was sick, there was no Facebook. There wasn't really even texting. There was email. And I had a friend who was a medical coder, and she would send updates to everyone after I would tell her the information that I'd received specifically during his six-week ICU stay after his double lung transplant. He was in an ICU critical setting the entire time. I did not have the capacity, the energy, the emotional strength to be in touch with all the people who showed concern for him and wanted to know how he was doing. I wanted to provide them with information. I just didn't have the capacity to do it. So I would talk to one person, my friend Kelly. She had a great understanding of the things I was telling her, something she was able to explain to me because of her medical background. And then she would take that information and simplify it and send emails to our family and friends with updates. If they sent a response, a loving response, questions, support, she would decide when it was a good time to share that information with me. So I wasn't receiving multiple emails. They were only replying to her and she was getting the information to me when she felt it was appropriate. She did an amazing job. I can't imagine having gone through that experience without her. When my mom was sick, Facebook already existed. So I created a private Facebook group and I was very specific about who we included. It was a way for me to share information, get comments, feedback, support. When my mom felt up to it, she could read through those comments of support. It was a way for my brother to chime in and share any thoughts he wanted with the group. I shared pictures as she progressed and got better with her permission. It was a really easy way to disseminate information to a lot of people. I think texting is probably the least efficient way. You know how group texts are. You send a group text to five people even. Let's just think about a list of 10 or 20 and people are replying at different times and all these questions are coming in and you're missing information. People are replying during different time zones. Maybe it's 10 o'clock at night when you've gone to bed at eight, all the things. So in today's time, I would still recommend Facebook as a private group or an email list. Those are the two that I've used and those are the two that I found to be most effective and most efficient. You want to decide who is disseminating that information and how that information is being shared. Now let's go over another scenario. So let's say that mom is in a car accident and all five of her children and her spouse and her neighbor and her best friend are at the hospital wanting to check on her. They've just got the news and they've shown up for this emergency. Mom has not had the capacity to have a discussion with the providers about who's her person in charge or how the information will be disseminated because mom has been unconscious and she's gone straight into surgery. So in comes the doctor to the waiting room to address the family as a whole, likely focusing on the person who is closest, and that would be the spouse. Let's say it's her husband. The doctor will have a conversation, answer all the questions from the people in the room, and then go back to caring for mom. I have never been in an emergency situation, and I've been in several, unfortunately, where a doctor asked for a HIPAA release before having this discussion with the family or loved ones. It's really up to the doctor's discretion to decide with whom the information is shared and how much information is shared. Okay, now let's go on to day two. Mom is admitted to the hospital. She's had surgery. Should all five kids call the nurse's station to check on mom the next morning to see how she's doing? No. This is where that designated person or persons becomes important. 
Let's say that dad has been at her side all night. He's already tired. He's scared. He's overwhelmed. He might not be the person who will be in charge of gathering the information from the providers and disseminating that information to the rest of the family and friends. And here's where the decision-making ahead of time also is helpful. What we don't want to have happen is all five children calling the nurse's station, which would take away from the care of the patient because the nurse is either taking the calls or rejecting the calls. And it also lends to miscommunication. Five different people get one answer that is disseminated five different ways. We know how that happens, right? It's like the gossip game. You tell a story, you tell the story, you tell the story, and the story changes by the time it gets to the second, third, or fourth person. We don't want that to happen. So dad has spent the night with mom and is not capable of having any kind of interaction or discussions. He's exhausted. He's worried. He's scared. The daughter comes in. She knows exactly what to do or she's going to learn it as she goes because she's the person in charge. And then the other siblings are of support. They rely on her for the information. And now they have an effective bridge of communication. This is an efficient way to navigate an illness or a health crisis. Now, the last thing I want to mention, which I said something about it earlier, is having the HIPAA release in your own records. Let's say this accident that mom is in happens when she's out of town or out of state, away from this provider group. So they don't know who you are. They don't have a HIPAA release on file. But guess what? You do. It's not something that you have to present every time you have a conversation. Again, the doctor can use their discretion. But if you were to call the accident happened the next morning, you're wanting to call and check on mom and you're the designated person who would be having this discussion with providers, you might need to provide the HIPAA release to get that information initially. And then it would be on record at that provider group, at that hospital, in that scenario, and you're covered because you've utilized your copy of the HIPAA release. Now you could get it from your provider group if you didn't have a copy, but who knows how long that would take what happens if you needed access to it in the middle of the night, whatever the case. We can't know the policies and procedures of a provider or hospital outside of our state, outside of our community that we've utilized in other times. So we want to have a copy of that HIPAA release so there are no barriers of communication. So in summation, we've talked about the difference between a medical power of attorney and a HIPAA release. We've talked about who would be the primary person in charge of gathering and disseminating that information. Is it someone with a medical background, someone who's been a patient or caregiver themselves, or is it someone who's willing to take the role as the communicator and share that information with the rest of the family and loved ones? We've also discussed how is that information disseminated? Is it a Facebook group? Is it an email list? How do you want to go about efficiently and effectively sharing the information with your family and loved ones? We've also talked about the volley of care. Sometimes a patient can take care of their own needs as it relates to prescriptions, appointments, conversations with providers, and other times the caregiver takes on that role. The HIPAA release allows for that volley of roles and responsibilities. We've also discussed how doctors can use their own discretion when deciding with whom they share the information and how much information they share. And finally, we reiterated the importance of having a copy of the HIPAA release in your personal files, wherever you keep your important papers at home, in case you should need it, in an emergency situation that happens outside of your provider group, outside of your city, your community, your state. This is a lot of information, but what it really comes down to is communication and having that communication in place should there be an emergency. 
So get that HIPAA release filled out. You can call your provider group right now or send a message through the portal. If you're busy right now after listening to this podcast, make yourself a note to do it later today or tomorrow, but don't wait. It's a simple form to fill out and it's an essential tool in communication throughout your healthcare and the people who are part of your healthcare. I hope this was helpful and thank you to the person within the Take Good Care community app who requested this information and this topic to be discussed on the podcast. If you have questions, any kind of topic you want me to discuss, please send them my way. I'll do my best to take a deep dive into the topics that matter to this community. Until then, take good care.